Welcome to JK Moto Podcast. Is that all you got? That's all I got. Oh, welcome back. Your favorite motorcycle podcast, also your one-stop shop for all of your weekly motorcycle news, updates, stories, track riding, tips, racing, me mechanics. I don't, I don't even know. You know, there's no stop to what we talk about here. So welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, please, down below. If you're on YouTube, if you're on any of the other podcast platforms, i.e. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcast. Am I missing some? I'm sure I am. Anyway, click follow down there. Click the download button, whatever it might be. Throw a like on the video. If you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, go check it out at Working Class Customs YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at JKMoto Podcast. We are here for you. Oh, man, you had a lot. Yeah, I kind of just kept going. But yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. Anyway, yeah. what are we what are we getting into this week? Well, well, first off, I'm gonna ask you, did uh, you watch did you watch Anaheim one? <clears throat> uh no. I knew that was gonna be your answer. Yeah. So that being said, we have another special guest this week. Mm -hmm. Uh mm -hmm. after the intro, we're gonna we're gonna bring on Mike Bishop. Who is that? CVMA racer, longtime okay. racer. Okay. Coincidentally, he's currently on a BMW, so I'll apologize ahead of time. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we we promise at some point for you guys listening that may not be BMW people, we will bring someone. And the BMW, guess, you know, the BMW show rolls on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, should we uh, should we roll an intro? Yeah, I sure hope Mike watched A1, so I have something to talk to him about there. But let's roll the intro and get him on here. All right. Yesterday at one point, I was in six. Welcome back. Welcome, uh, Mike Bishop. We have Mike Bishop on the show today. Uh, CVMA racer. We're gonna we're gonna learn some more about him today. Excited to excited to get into this and talk to you. How you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. Like I said, I'm I'm uh, really appreciative of you guys having me on. Seen a lot of your other podcasts. Started listening to you guys on uh, Spotify when Lug. I think it was the first one he did, or it may have actually been when you guys interviewed Rich and Coop at the track day circus i think that was mm, one of the okay. ones i saw as well so uh, i've known about you guys for a while and then uh you know obviously cole had the pleasure to meet you at the last round and uh looking forward to more rounds so um but yeah i've watched a lot of your podcasts and uh i like what you guys do it's good stuff man so again thanks for having me on i appreciate it you bet thanks for yeah. coming on absolutely so where do, you, where do you want to start this season we're gonna get to know mike here where do, where, where do you want to start? start well let's see so you know, I don't, I don't want to just repeat episodes, but I do I do enjoy the stories. I'm always kind of curious to get people's just just background. So I don't know if yeah. you can give us like a quick when you started, why you started. Everyone's, you know, people, some people come from cruisers, dirt. Uh, some people right. are, are lug nut and they just hopped on a sport bike one day and then started racing the next week, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your backstory? <laughs> I'm definitely not lug. Uh, I don't have the youth anymore, nor do I have that kind of talent. So, uh I don't know. I'm getting there. 
so yeah, I'll, I'll keep the, the, the hit, the history is, uh, grew up riding dirt bikes, uh, Northeast Pennsylvania, started riding dirt bikes as a kid. But did, yeah. sorry, did you say Pennsylvania? Yeah. Northeast yeah. Pennsylvania. I grew up about uh, 45 minutes from Scranton. Okay. Okay. Little town up there out in the woods, grew up out in the countryside. Um, so I rode, I grew up riding dirt bikes in the summertime, snowmobiles in the winter. And then, uh, once I, I think all through my teenage years, I still had a dirt bike. Then I joined the military. I joined the Air Force in uh, 1997, and I got my first street bike uh, three years later. It was like late, might have been like December of uh, 2000 or like early 2001. My first street bike was a, a Ninja ZX7R. I bought it in Tucson. I was stationed down there in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. I bought it. I went on a deployment. I came back from the deployment, and a couple months later, had a bad, uh, had a real bad crash. Car pulled out in front of me. So I recovered from that. And then the following year, uh, so in 2002, uh, the Air Force sent me to Korea and I was home on my mid-tour, you know, like my, my 30-day mid-tour halfway through mm -hmm. and um, had an itch to get a bike. So I went to, a, I went actually over towards Scranton and there was a motorsports, uh, it was Andretti Motorsports. And uh, I walked in the door and off in the corner of the showroom, they had an exact replica of my 01. It was the same color. It was the yellow and black Ninja uh, ZX7R. Okay. So I, I bought it. My parents weren't too happy. <laughs> um, so I bought it and <laughs> you're going to be like, man, why are you still riding motorcycles? Three weeks later, or maybe it was like two weeks later. I think it was two weeks later. Um, I was out riding, got up early one morning. I only had a couple days left and I was get, getting ready to head back to Korea. So I wanted to go take the bike for a ride. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about, I mean, obviously, you know, being on the East Coast, I know you guys have deer down there. But if you know anything about Pennsylvania, white-tailed deer, they're all over the place. And yeah. one ran out in front of me and I hit it. Oof. So that was my intro to motorcycles. Uh, hit a car, hit a deer. <laughs> took about, yeah. So I took about a two-year break, um, didn't ride. And then I left Korea and I actually got stationed here uh, in Vegas. I got stationed in Nellis. And I went and I bought, you're going to love it because the, the bad luck just continues with me. I went and I bought a 2004 Honda CBR 1000RR. It was the first year they released it. Okay. And a couple months, I think I had it and it got stolen from my apartment complex. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, three strikes, I'm out. Or do I just, do I get back on the horse to keep riding? So I went back to that same dealership after the insurance, you know, the, it covered the, uh, the theft and I like had the gap coverage or whatever. I had some kind of extra theft protection or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the Oh five Repsol edition CBR 1000 had just showed up at their dealership. The morning that I walked in, I was eyeballing a different bike and the salesman was like, Hey, we've got the Repsol in the, in the shop. You know, we literally just took it out of the crate this morning. Do you want to see it? And I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, I would seen pictures of it, but I was like, yeah, it's too flashy. Well, then I saw it in person and they rolled it out of the garage door and they put it in the parking lot and it was sunny day. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> and I yeah. had that bike for, so I bought that bike in um, December of 04. And then I had it for eight years. Well, hey, uh, that's better. That's better luck right there. Yeah. Yeah. So first three bikes, not such good luck. The, the, the 05 was an awesome bike. And then in like 2000, I think it was 2012, uh, I upgraded to the 2000, the 2011 Repsol edition. 
So now I'm on my third Honda, really liking that bike. Started, so I left, I bought that bike and then, uh, let me back up a little bit. In 2010, I got orders and I left Nellis and I went back to Tucson. I got stationed back down at Davis Maupin. Okay. So started riding with some guys there, you know, all street riders. We'd go up, uh, we'd do Mount Lemon on the weekends. You know, we'd ride all over the place. We did some really cool riding down there in uh, Southern Arizona. And then a couple of these guys, really good friends of mine still to this day, they started doing track days at uh, Indy Motorsports Ranch, which is in Wilcox, Arizona. It's about an hour east of Tucson. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, man, that sounds really exciting. And I didn't really know much. Like all the years that I was stationed here in Vegas, I didn't even know that there was track day companies. Because, you know, like with Apex, you know, we do our, uh, our track days at the uh, outer course up at, at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So I went by there one time, but I just never went. I never talked to anybody. I was always interested, but I was I think I was kind of nervous because it, it was like a big jump, you know, going from the street to the track. So then when I got down to Tucson, so so back to what I was talking about, um, my buddies were going to the track. They're like, hey, you know, it's real simple. You just put some tape over your lights. You know, you do these couple things, sign a waiver, whatever. I went and bought a cheap suit from Cycle Gear. Some Ooh, gloves. What, what brand was the suit? Oh, geez. It was uh, this is back when Cycle Gear was really pushing hard on built. Uh, okay. B-I-L-T, the, the, mm-hmm. the built brand. So I went and bought a suit gloves, boots, and all that stuff. And I went to the track and I was hooked. So my, my first track day ever, uh, 2011 or 2012, um, it must've been 2011 because I had the 05 CBR, uh, still the one that I had bought, you know, that I had for eight years. So that was my first track day. And, uh, I pretty much fell in love with it right from the get go. And like from there on, I just, I, I just wanted to go back to the track. I just kept trying to go back to the track it was hard though, you know, being active duty and I wasn't really high ranking at the time. So I wasn't making a lot, but, uh, and plus, you know, going through, going through a set of tires in a weekend versus riding on the street, you know, a set of tires might've lasted me a year or two. So, yeah. Right. So so let's, let's pause there one second. So you show up on the track, you did the, you did the no, no, you went to your first track day on a thousand CC bike. Yep. Yep. Sure did. Did sure you? Sure did sign up for C group? No. So it was interesting. So that my buddies that they had been there a couple times to Indy. Um, and it's funny, I actually learned the track by watching, uh, my buddy, Chris, um, he had posted videos on YouTube, you know, uh, mounted right. a GoPro on his bike. So mm-hmm. I actually memorized the track watching his videos on YouTube. I watched it religiously, like every single day for like three weeks multiple times a day. I just kept watching it over and over and over until I knew I memorized the track. So when I actually got on the track, uh, that track has a little bit of elevation. So I wasn't quite ready for that, but like I knew the layout, I knew which turn was coming up. Yeah. If, if you ever get a chance, man, that, that track is amazing. They just resurfaced it uh, several years ago, but it's, it's an amazing track. That whole facility is awesome. Sweet. Yeah. I think we, uh, I don't know. That one's been on my, not necessarily bucket list, but definitely on my list. We've been to, uh, what amp and and now a tessa so yeah yeah amp well i've got man i've I've got so many laps on amp and i finally got to ride podium club as well um last year with uh cra okay that was a good time good deal so yeah first first track day on a 1000 and i signed up for so they had like a b plus and then like b minus and c group instead of having three groups they just had two so mm-hmm. I signed up for the A B plus because my my buddies that I rode with on the street they were like trust me you're 
you're good enough. You're, you know, you're fast enough. You've, brought, you've ridden with us. You'll be fine. It's funny. So the first session out, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning, tracks cold. And uh, one of the control riders, I don't even remember which organization was hosting the track day at this point. It might've been Excel. I can't remember. Uh, one of the control riders actually came up to the upper parking lot, the upper paddock and found where I was parked. And he actually came up to me. He's like, Hey man, uh, you, you doing okay? You feel okay? Is there, you know, your bike all right? And I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, Oh, I just wanted to make sure, uh, you know, you were kind of holding traffic up out there. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, you know? And, uh, I said, well, it, it's the first session of the day. Like the track's cold. I'm not trying to push it on, you know, I'm here on my street bike. So after that, I, I picked up the pace a little bit and no more issues for the rest of the day. But I, that was, that's pretty funny. My, uh, my first time on track, I basically got called out by one of their control riders. So that's good. It happens. <laughs> yeah. Doing their job. Uh, well, can I, uh, can we go back to the ZX seven? Absolutely. Okay. Um, just cause I, I've known a person that had one. He was actually putting one back together, just trying to find all original parts. Uh, um, I, I guess let's just kind of make a, a story out of that. Um, just kind of motorcycle to motorcycle. You obviously went back to a ZX seven. I you didn't have the first one for too long. So you know, yeah, no, that, <laughs> how does a older bike 750, but you know, how does she compare to the, the current stuff we got? Oh man. Um, it's funny. I, I think back to that bike and the first one, I mean, it still had the tires on it that were on it when I, you know, when I bought it from the dealership. Mm -hmm. still had those same tires. It was, it was like eight months to the day after I bought it was when I, was when I hit that car. I think the only thing I did to it, like, you know, that I took the turn signals off and put like flush mounts. Cause you know, I've started riding with this group of guys in Tucson and, uh, and I kept, you know, I saw everybody else's bikes and I kind of liked, I liked some of their bikes, like what they had done to them, you know, customize them and stuff. So I put like a, a fender eliminator kit on it and like a, a, a smoke windscreen. And that was about it. Um, other than that, the bike was bone stock, you know, 2001, there was no such thing as ABS traction control, wheelie control, it, you know, none of that stuff. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just, and as far as power, I think the bike made the, or like they listed the power at 106 horsepower for a 750. Interesting. Okay. So think about, you know, modern day 600s now, you know, R6 is, with a good tune, you know, you can get upwards of 125, 130 horsepower out of those yeah. bikes. So, yeah, absolutely. But for the time being, it was it was a fast bike. It, I mean, it I had no problems getting up to speed quick. Yeah, but the technology just wasn't there yet. It didn't have didn't have anything like what, what today's modern bikes have. So I, okay. I know we're bouncing a little bit here. We're we're, we're going back and peppering your story, but that's okay. So you, hit, you hit a deer with the second one. Were yeah. there any injuries in that accident? Um. Yeah. So ironically, uh, the first one, when I hit that car, it was, uh, it was late on a Friday night. It was dark. It was like 10 or 10 30. And this, uh, older guy, I was going too fast down a street that was not very well lit up. And, uh, he just, you know, he couldn't tell how fast I was going and he just, he was pulling out of a side street, made a left turn in front of me. And I look back if that had happened to me now, like my knowledge and my, my ability and my skills, like knowing how bikes work and knowing like not to panic. I mean, I basically panicked. I, I hit the front brake, I locked up the rear brake and then the bike, basically the bike fishtailed and went down. And then the bike and my body both hit the side of his car. And then I flew over the car. I walked away from that crash with no broken bones. 
I did have a pretty good uh, chunk taken out of my right knee. I have a nice scar from it. Fast forward to the deer, you know, a year later, I did break my wrist, the tiny little bone in my right wrist. So I had to go and they put a cast on my arm. And then, like I was telling you guys, I was home on leave. Uh, I was stationed in South Korea. So like a week later, I had to get back on a plane and fly back to Korea because my, my mid tour was over. And I showed up, walked into the office to my flight chief and he saw the cast and he's like, what'd you do? And I, I told him the story and he's like, all right, you're going to be the, you're going to do all the paperwork and computer work for the guys. So that was in September. Uh, the cast was on my arm until like a week before Christmas. Wow. Okay. So they were, they were pretty mad at me when I got back to work because I couldn't so is the is it true with a deer you just, you know, gas up, lean back and close your eyes? Uh, oh, man. Um, it's crazy because I was riding through the woods. I was only like two or three miles from my house. So, I mean, I'd been down this road a million times mm -hmm. and I knew it was early morning and I knew that there was usually deer feeding off to the side of the road on either side of the road it was wide open fields. And I wasn't even really thinking about it. I was just coming through. The sun was just coming up. It was probably like seven, seven thirty in the morning. And, uh, this doe, she just, I don't know, maybe the sound of the bike spooked her and she just darted out in front of me. I can still visualize it as the deer was coming out of the field running in front of me. I remember thinking like in my mind, I'm like, oh crap. Like I'm not, there's, I literally didn't have enough distance to, to swerve, to downshift, to break. Cause I was over, I was probably doing like 50, 55, maybe, I don't know, maybe 60. I can't remember, but she was on a full, like she was full stride. She was running full speed for the road. And there was, I literally had no option. Like I didn't even, I don't even think I hit the brake to be honest. Mm -hmm. I just, I just held on for dear life, hit the deer right. Deer or, yeah. Broadside. And then I, <laughs> me and the bike just went flying down the road. Wow. Was, I had deer all over me. It was pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, to, to take it back to the track, have you ever had a deer hit you out on the track? <laughs> no. And that's why we do those things. Funny. You should bring that up. Um, cause I figured at some point it was probably going to come up in the conversation. I did have another rider hit me Ooh, two years okay. ago, but we'll, okay. we'll, we'll get to that. All right. That was, that was my first, um, on track collision. Uh, I was collected by another rider up in Utah, but, uh, We'll, we'll hold that for, for later in the discussion when we get there. Oh, man, Utah. Yeah, I was racing USBA. Thinking Utah. Okay, so we're on your second second CBR. How, how, many, how long were you going to the track before you decided to throw some numbers on that thing? I had that, uh, I had that 2011. The 05 is the one I took on the track. And I, I did take my 2011 to the track a couple times, but never to race. I took it out a couple times uh, after I started working – with desert it was at the time it was desert road racing i got my first race license at arroyo seco i was racing with asma so i did a bunch of uh i did a bunch of track days at a little go-kart track in tucson i decided and once i had the taste of the track and i really wanted to do you know i wanted to keep going back i knew that i wasn't going to put my my 2011 on the track because i i love that bike so i i actually found it was like a friend of a friend had an 03 CBR 600. Um, he also lived in Tucson. I bought the bike for dirt cheap. If you saw pictures of it when I first got it, you'd be like, there's no way you put that bike on the track. It was, <laughs> it, it, 
it was a science project. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. Um, it was multiple colors. It had Bondo holding the front fender together. So I basically stripped that bike down to motor and frame. Um, I got some hot bodies fairings and just piece by piece, I just started putting all of the, the track goodies, if you will, you know, did the fairings. Uh, it, it, it didn't even have, it had the old style forks, like didn't have inverted forks. It had the standard wow. forks on that 03. So, you know, I just chain sprockets, clip-ons, rear sets, uh, exhaust, a uh, couple case covers. And uh, I think I did, I think I put a master cylinder on it too. I can't remember. So I started riding that bike at a go-kart track in Tucson. It's called a uh, Muscleman Honda circuit. We started doing um, bike nights out there. Cause in the summertime, you know, out there, Southern Arizona, daytime, you, just, you can't ride, it's too hot. Mm -hmm. So the owners of the track would do bike nights on Saturdays and we would ride from 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. So I started riding the track with my 03 CBR 600. And then a couple guys that raced at Arroyo, they would come down occasionally as well to Tucson and they would they would do uh, track, you know, bike nights with us. So we like we weren't racing, but we were doing time attacks and stuff. Like, you know, we throw a transponder on the bike and they would just time us, you know, and like top three, you'd get like, you know, 50 bucks and you get like a free, uh, a free track night or whatever. So I did that for like a whole summer. And then somebody that raced at Arroyo was like, Hey man, you should come over to Arroyo. You know, you're, you're pretty quick here. You bring your bike down to Arroyo, uh, sign up for the new racer school and, you know, get your race license. So I was like, okay. So, and the, and the reason I remember it so vividly, I got my race license. It was the weekend of my 35th birthday. So, I did the racer school on, like I did practice on Friday in the racer school. And then Saturday morning I went and somebody had like yellow duct tape and I made a makeshift number plate. And that was the first time I put numbers on a bike because my number was 35. Cause I think that, I think the next day was my, was going to be my 35th birthday. So that was, uh, that was 10 years ago this year. There you go. There you go. Yellow duct tape. I like that. Yeah. It, it worked, you know, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. worked. So you so we got to figure out how to get these kids on the, on the track quicker at a younger age. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look back from where I started to where I am now. And I think my only regret is that I waited so long to actually take the initiative and, and actually go do a track day. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, when I was stationed here in Vegas, I was here from 2003 to 2010, you know, I was riding, riding street bikes. And I had ridden by the track a couple of times, but I just never had the courage to go up and talk to somebody and be like, Hey, how do I get into this? Right. You know, I just, I wasn't, uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say shy, but like, I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't, I just didn't do it. And I kind of regret that because I could have started way earlier in my career or way, way younger, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, I, I don't know. I think there's a feeling for a lot of people that they, they go by a motorcycle, but a track day in their head is racing basically right. it, it's on the same realm and that's so far you know it's unreachable almost and so they don't even, yeah don't yeah. even look into it but i, I mean yeah. i can tell you you know it, it was funny that you mentioned that that you had that experience where you're like well, i wanted to but i never really knew if i could because I've, I've met so many people that ride sport bikes i'm like well you go to the track they're like well uh, no I'm like why not they're like well i don't really know like, look, man, you go buy a suit, you already have a helmet. You probably have boots and gloves. If not, pick up some boots and gloves, and then you Google right. track day near me, <laughs> and then get right. after yeah. it, you know? 
especially now with, you know, you, there, you can get on Facebook and you can just put anything into the search bar for motorcycle track days or anything like that. And the forums and the groups that are out there, there's, you know, hundreds of them, if not more. Mm-hmm. But of course, we, I don't even know if we had Facebook back then. I don't even think we did. So yeah, definitely uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people like what you just described. You know, I, I've worked with people that were also in the military and they had the same thought, you know, like when I started riding track and I would talk to them and they're like, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to do that. And I had a lot of buddies um, in Tucson when I was, when I was doing track. And then like when I got into racing and I would still ride with them on the weekends. And then, you know, like if I missed a weekend, the following weekend, I'd go back out and ride with them and like, dude, where were you last weekend? I'm like, I was at the track. I was racing. They're like, man, I got to get into that. So I started handing out business cards because at the time I was riding with, uh, with desert road racing and then which eventually became uh, DRO track days. But I started handing out business cards to people. I invited a bunch of my buddies. Um, we did a, uh, we rode up to Phoenix. It was like June or July. It was so hot. But my buddy was having a bike night at his shop up in Phoenix. And I was like, you guys come up with me, like, come check it out. You know, we do track days, like, just come check it out. So, and a bunch of them did, but none of them, none of them wanted to, to, to make that transition from the street to the track. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it seems seems like, I mean, same thing we're saying two, two questions for you. Well, one, just a comment. Every it's, I just recently started a couple years ago, started doing track days. I just recently went and got a race license as a, a bucket item and they got me. They pulled me in. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm stuck now. Ain't going anywhere else. But I just remember since it was so not very long ago, what a huge deal that seemed like it was going to be. And I just had to force myself. I mean, I didn't really have anybody here in my mind. I just, I mean, I don't, I don't have a neighbor or a friend in the neighborhood that's doing it. And so I just started doing the research and said, I think you're supposed to wire your oil cap or something. Let's show up. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't see what's happening, but it seemed like a huge deal. Once you get through that, I think all of us can probably look back and go, it's really not as big a deal as we thought. It's just kind of a lack of easy information and little handholding would go a long ways, I think, to get more people out to the track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. If it wasn't for my buddies, uh, Chris and Brandon, if I had never met them, I, I be honest, I don't know if I would be where I'm at right now. I, I actually talk to Brandon quite often or not quite often, but every now and then, uh, since I got the new bike, we've been talking a lot because he had a BMW uh, that he rode on the street as well. If I hadn't met them and they talked about the track, you know, like it, I just remember one random Saturday night, neither one of them was there. And I was like, where are you know, I messaged him like, where are you guys? And like, oh man, we're not coming out tonight. We rode the track today. And I was like, you guys ride track? Like where? <laughs> I, yeah, I had no idea. Right. So, and then, and then they're like, dude, next time we go out, come with us. So I was definitely nervous, but at the same time, I knew that they were going to be there and they had already done it. So kind of like what you said, basically hold, you know, held my hand, walked me through the whole process, you know, go to the website, fill out the forms, fill out the waiver. And because it's track day, you know, obviously not as many requirements as, as, uh, as racing. Right. So, but if it hadn't been for them, I, why not? I don't, I don't know if I would be where I'm at today. You know, I don't know if I would be racing. I don't know if I would, Moto America would be, you know, that's not even anything 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing any of it. So yeah. just them getting me to the track that, that one time changed, it literally changed my future. Well, I just, I, I think just one more thing to add to that is since I'm so fresh going through that, I think the people that I still talk to today and that when I see people talking to other people, sometimes they present it in a way that, oh yeah, just do this. It's no big deal. And yeah. I just say, listen, the first time they do it, it is a big deal. Yeah. And they, they don't need just, Hey, it's easy. Just do it. They need go here, grab this, sign that, pick up this and they'll get there. But I think we lose a lot of people that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I, it can be overwhelming. I think it also takes a more often than not, it does, it does take a friend, right? That it's kind of almost dragging the person through it. And then, yep. you know, like yourself, Mike, like, uh, well, I think I, I kind of went on my own, but like Cole here, like you, like a lot of us, then you get addicted and then you're over there trying to drag more people. So yeah, definitely. yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause like every time I never go and, you know, I do a track day or a race weekend and then I'd go out the following weekend, ride with my buddies, you know, we do our typical Saturday night ride and, and like every, sometimes I would record, you know, I'd have a GoPro on, I'd like post up videos or whatever. And they'd be like, man, that's so cool. That looks like so much fun. I really want to do that. And then I, a couple of them did come out to Indy for one of our track days, I think with uh, DRO track days, I got a couple of them to sign up and they actually did, they did really well. I think one of them, I had a coworker too, that was riding street bikes and he knew that I, that I raced and I did track days. And at, at that point I was a control rider essentially, or I, I think I was actually teaching the new, uh, the new rider school for, um, for uh, DRO track days. And I got him to come out and he rode with me all day. And then he was like, Hey man, when's the next track day? When's the next track day? But it wasn't until that point, like once he actually did it the first time, he was always asking me, like, when's the next one? When's the next one? So, you know, I'd send him the link to the to the website, like, hey, here's our calendar. You can sign up. You know, here's here's the rest of the year. It's all it's all uh, scheduled. So, yep. yeah, I think a lot of people would do it more. It's just taking that 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 first step is big. It's definitely a big step. But once you get into it, you know, like you guys both know, it, it is very addicting. And it's like once you're in, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And then all your money goes to tires and yeah, that's oh. great. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes I think about how much money I'd have if I hadn't gotten into this and then I just stop because it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, you were talking about, we, I guess we were all talking about video games right before we started. And, uh, I got a lot of friends that, that play video games and I just kind of, I laugh sometimes. Not that I really have anything against it. You know, you do you, whatever, but they're talking about buying a new video game and I'm like, you know, I wish 60, 70 bucks for a video game. You go out there for a track day, you know, you got 200 bucks for the ticket, the gas to get there. And then yeah, a set of tires is gone. Uh, don't right. let that, don't let that deter any of the listeners out there. <laughs> it's great. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> hey, um, I, yeah. yeah. I remember putting a brand new set of, uh, remember if they were q3s q3 pluses this was on an r6 another bike that i had that i had raced that was actually after the honda cbr 600 and i remember going doing a track day it was a it wasn't a, like a it wasn't open to the public uh, i got to be good friends with somebody that was a member out at indy mm -hmm. and a couple of us went out there they invited us out and we went out and did a private track day there was like 10 15 bikes on the track the whole day so and, and it was open set there were there was no sessions it was like tracks open go ride right and uh i put a brand new set of tires on and like by the end of the day you know they got me through the whole day but they, they were gone and i was like man that i just that was you know what 400 some odd dollars yeah. gone 
Yeah. But it was worth every penny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, you just brought up uh, going from the CBR to the R6. Can we get the, the race bike timeline, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so like I was saying earlier, um, the, the first time I put number plates on a bike was that that 03 CBR 600. I didn't finish telling that story. So it, more more bad luck, I guess, for me. So I put the number plates on it. And then uh, I went out, we had like a morning warm up. And then we had our qualifying session. So I was qualifying for uh, for amateur middleweight uh, with ASMA. That sounds like a fight. Yeah, it's that track's that's a pretty cool track too. It's very very technical, very tight. It's not a big track. I think it's like a mile long or something. Okay. But the guys that do race out there, I mean, they are the ones that that have experience and have laps around that track. It's unreal how how quick they're getting around that track. For it, it's got some tight tight uh, sections. So I go out for morning morning warm up. I ride for a little bit and then I'm, you know, throw the transponder on I'm like, all right, qualifying sessions coming up and I get out on the track and I do like one or two laps, get warmed up. And then I'm like, all right, I put my head down. Now it's time to put in a couple, couple flyers. And I got black flagged. Didn't know what was going on. So I'm coming off the back straight and there's a section at a Royal called the S's. Well, there's a little pull off part of the track. You can pull off to get out of the way of the S's. And there was a corner worker there and he's waving the black flag at me. He's like, Hey, come over, come over. So I pull up next to him. I shut the bike off. And I was like, what's going on? And he's like, uh, he goes, your bike is smoking really bad only on the straightaways when you're like at full throttle. Well, come to find out, I take the bike back to the pits and um, Roger, awesome dude. He owns the track. He's uh, he's the owner of uh, ASMA, the uh, race series there. He came running over a bunch of people. We pulled the belly pan off and there was oil. The engine block was cracked. It had a hairline crack right where the belly pan mounted up to the bottom of the engine. So we tried to put JB weld on it. It didn't nice. work. So my first, my first time trying to race, I didn't even get to race. I didn't even qualify. So I loaded the bike up, put it in the trailer, went home and I got online. I started searching for engines because you know, I did, I, I only spent a little bit of money on this bike. It wasn't a lot. And I was like, I don't want to buy another race bike right now. I can't really afford it. So I found somebody a company in like Florida, I think it was, they were parting out motorcycles and they had an 06 CBR 600 motor with shipping. I bought the engine and they shipped it to me. And I think it cost me like $600 for the engine. So they shipped it to me. And That's then I took it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it wasn't a bad deal. So they shipped the engine to me. I took the engine and the motorcycle because I was still kind of a newbie when it came to like working on my own stuff. And I took the bike downtown to a buddy of mine and he swapped the engine. Now, mind you, that happened in April of, uh, of 2014. It took me a little while to save with the money and then getting all the work done, you know, take the bike apart, get the bike back, put it all back together. I think it was like July or August and ASMA, you know, they take the summer break off just because of how hot it is. So I think like the next round was coming up in like September of that year. I think it was their final round of the, of the season. It was like September or October. So I took the bike back to the track and mind you, I hadn't ridden all summer because that or on the track anyway, that was like that was my that was my dedicated track bike. Mm -hmm. So I took the bike back to Arroyo and um, rode did the Friday track day. It got super windy on uh, Saturday, like huge gusts of wind coming through. And I didn't have a lot of laps on this track, so I was super slow. Like the fast guys out there run like 108s. I think the track record's like a 107 or a 108 lap time. 
-hmm. And I was running like 116s, 115, 116, something like that. It might've even been slower. I can't remember now. And I was so like discouraged and disappointed because I was getting lapped in the races that on like my second race of the day, like halfway through, I just pulled off the track, took the bike back to the pits, loaded it up and went home. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to get serious about racing, I need, I need a faster bike. The R6 comes into the picture in the following year. It was like late 2014 or early 2015. I had a coworker that, uh, they knew I was looking for a bike and he's like, Hey, I've got a, a another friend of a friend come mm -hmm. to find out it was somebody that, that knew the guys that I rode streets with. And he only lived a couple miles down the road from me. He had a 2012 R6 that was fully, it was a full track bike. Like he actually raced it at Arroyo in the middleweight series. So I bought that bike for like $2,200. That's all he wanted for it. It's, uh, I, I won't, yeah, I won't, I won't give you the background story, but basically he acquired the bike from somebody else and, and it was, it was pretty beat up. It was in a crash. And he just wanted back the money that he had invested in the motorcycle to get it running again. He wasn't trying to make a killing. He wasn't trying to make a profit. And because we had, you know, mutual acquaintances, I was like, how much did he, I think he wanted, initially he said he wanted 2,500. So I messaged him and I said, I'll give you 2,000 cash right now. And he goes, tell you what, 2,200 bucks, the bike's yours. So I drove over to his house. He lived a couple miles from me. I drove over to his house. It had a set of street tires on it. I brought my helmet. I took it down the street, back, put it on my trailer and brought it home. Uh, I thought you were about to say you rode it home. No, no. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was. Yeah, it was. But I mean, the bike itself at the time, it needed nothing. It needed a set of tires. That was yeah. it. So I, I, I stripped the bike. This was like a, a hobby of mine, too. Every time I got a new bike, I would like tear the bike down to basically motor and frame just to see how does everything work? You know, pretty much like, you know, car guys, what's under the hood. I wanted to, you know, what, what's under the fairings. Cause I didn't know anything about this bike. You know, I'd only ridden mostly up to that point, all of my riding, like 99% of it was on Hondas. So I bought, so I bought the R6 brought it home, stripped it down. I think I put clip-ons on it and that was about it. And it already had a, it was already painted up. It was like this cool red and white theme and put a number plate on it and uh, started doing track days. And then trying to remember, oh, I remember it. So I was doing, uh, I was doing these track days, these, these bike nights still at the, the, uh, at Muscleman Honda circuit, the little go-kart track in Tucson. And a buddy of mine, who's a very good friend of mine now, you met him, Cole, uh, Will Russell at the, mm -hmm. at the last round at CBMA. So we got to, we got to know each other and I had heard of him before from other people that rode in Tucson, but I never met him. So I met him one night out there and he and I were doing time attacks and we, you know, we were, we were, it was him and I just battling back and forth the whole night, having a lot of fun. You know, we got a, we got a chance to talk afterwards and then we stayed in touch over like the next couple of months, probably like the next year, honestly. And I was still doing track days, but I hadn't, I hadn't gotten into racing. And he's like, Hey, there's this, uh, there's this company called desert road racing. Uh, my buddy, Jason, he's the owner and he races, you know, he's based out of Phoenix, but he does track days and, at Indy, he does track days at Phoenix and, and, and racing as well. So they were racing at Indy. And at the time he was racing at uh, wild horse pass motorsports park in Phoenix. It's got the, the East and West. It's the old, it's the old uh, firebird raceway. Hmm. Okay. I think so, I've heard of it. 
Yeah. So they, they, they also, uh, there's a, like NHRA drags. They, those guys go out there. I don't know if they are still doing drags though, like at the pro level, that track is kind of, it could use some, uh, it could use a resurface. It's, it's been a while. I know cool. the East course resurfaced years ago, but we just stopped riding on it for some reason. Hmm. So I signed up with desert road racing and then took it out. But since it, it had been about a year or two, since I had gone through a new racer school, Will was like, Hey, come out, sign up for the new racer school go through it with us. You know, you'll learn the track. So we were at, um, we were at West course at wild horse. So I signed up, he was coaching the class, the, the new racer clinic. So I went with those guys, even though I had a race license, you know, technically I still had my ASMA license, but it had been a while. So I signed up, did the school, signed up for races and successfully got through my first, my first weekend of actual racing for the first time on the R6. And I think that was in, I think that was in 2015 is when that happened. And then, you know, went back to did East course. And then we did some races at Indy, which Indy was awesome because I knew that track very well already from, from doing track days out there. Yeah. So as far as, I mean, you mentioned you want to get something faster, hopped on a, on a newer R6. Is that, did that hit that mark? Or was it, I, you know, I haven't actually ridden an R6 or a, <laughs> Or CBR, just kind of curious. So that bike, same as the CBR 600, no electronics, you know, no, no ABS, no traction control, none of that stuff. But just the technology, the the difference from a 2003 CBR 600 to a 2012 R6. Obviously, uh, that bike had uh, it had about 10 more horsepower than the CBR did. But it wasn't so much the power; it was it was more like the delivery, like the bike. The bike, it was so smooth. Like when I got it, it did not have quick shift. That was one of the that was one of the other things that I, I uh, threw on it was quick shift and auto blip. So that really helped out a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think now you know just about every modern day bike has those. Right. But at the time, that was like you you know the bikes didn't come with that. At least not the the R six didn't. You had to buy that. So, but it was just the the delivery, and it just it just had power in. It had better power in areas that the Honda didn't. That Honda was very, you know, severely lacking on power. Basically, it, it took a lot to get the bike. Like, you had to get the bike up to speed, and then you had to maintain uh, to keep that bike going fast. Whereas the R6, you know, I could just come out of a corner and just crack the throttle, and that thing would just get up and move. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a huge upgrade over the the Honda, which I ended up selling <laughs> after I rode it. So I had both bikes for a while, and. I was, I was bouncing back and forth. I couldn't decide if I was going to keep it. And I was like, well, if, you know, if I crash one, at least I've got a backup. So I had both of those bikes for about two years in the garage. And then I finally said, I'm not really riding the Honda anymore. So I sold that. So to, to just kind of keep on this, on this theme, you know, you said this about 2015, eight years later, I'm, I'm here in BMW. We have anything in between those? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I raced. So I, I raced the R6 with uh, with Desert Road Racing in 2015 and 2016, both years as an amateur. I think I got I got one or two. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I had trophies are upstairs. I think I got one or two podiums as an amateur. I got a couple second places and a couple third places uh, in the amateur middleweight series with Desert Road Racing. Mm -hmm. And then Desert Road Racing they they stopped racing at the end of 2016. So I was kind of depressed because I was like, you know, I, I knew of Chuck Waller just talking to Will, but at the time, again, I was in Tucson and I knew it was going to be, that's like, a, I looked it up. I'm like, okay, that's six hours each way. 
Right. Plus, you know, plus like we were talking about earlier, the gas, the tires, you know, the, the, the transportation costs, just everything that all of the costs associated with racing. Um, when I was racing with desert road racing, it was very convenient because Phoenix was an hour and a half to two hours. Indy was an hour, you know, it was very easy for me to go to those tracks because they were just close. And again, I wasn't, you know, I didn't make a lot of money. So I finally pulled the trigger on Chuck Walla. Will, Will talked me into it at round one of two. So Desert Road Racing stopped in 2016. I did not race in 2017. And then all 2018, I was just doing track days with uh, Desert Road Racing became DRO track days. So we were still riding. I just wasn't competitively uh, racing. So round one of the 2018 winter series, I told Will, I said, all right, I'm coming out, loaded up the bike, loaded up the RV and drove out to Chuck Walla. Uh, I didn't have to do the new rider school because I still had my, my um, credentials from ASMA and, and from Desert Road Racing. So initially I was going to sign up for expert because I was like, hey, I have, I have two years of riding racing experience under my belt. I have a lot of track time under my belt now at this point, which I thought was a lot. Um, looking back, it really wasn't. <laughs> so, so I talked to Will and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm on the website. I'm signing up. Should I sign up for expert or should I sign up for amateur? And he messaged me back and he goes, it was something to the effect of, I don't want to crush your dreams, but he goes, sign up for amateur because the amateur grids out there are fast. Like if you go out there and sign up for expert right off the bat, he's like, you're not going to survive. He's like, do a season of amateur at least. And he was right. My first amateur season. So I did the whole season. I did all seven rounds and no podiums. I think I may have gotten a top 10, maybe once, once or twice. I remember, I'll never forget this. My, my first weekend at Chuck Walla, again, it was September of 2018. And it got, I went out and did the Friday track day at the time was hosted by track days. Uh, Dustin mm -hmm. Coiner mm -hmm. was the owner or is the owner. So they were doing the Friday track days. So I signed up with them and I rode all day because I wanted to get, you know, I needed as much seat time on the track as possible. Well, I kind of backfired because I was exhausted Saturday morning when I got up. And uh, that weekend, I think it hit 113 degrees. And I remember being out there with, with Will and a couple other guys, you know, and I, I started meeting all these new people, you know, they, they basically accepted me and like brought me into like their, you know, their, their, their crew. And, um, I remember telling these guys, I'm like, you guys are insane. Like, how do you race in this? And they're like, well, this is kind of abnormal. It's not, it's usually not this bad. But yeah, it was like 112 or 113 degrees my first weekend at Chuck. And I was like, I, there's no way I could do this. But obviously the season went on and the temperatures dropped. That was my first season out at Chuck. I didn't get enough points to get the bump. When the next year came around, now having raced a full season, added a couple, you know, a couple little, uh, goodies to the R6 made it made it more competitive. I did my second season as an amateur as well, and I podiumed twice that season. But more importantly, the season prior, I never got a top ten. I don't think the whole year. My second amateur season, I finished fourth overall in Supersport and Formula Middleweight. So oh, yeah. it was like it was me and three other guys. Those three were always just slightly faster than me. Had a couple good uh, good battles on track with my buddy Lee. We we went at it a lot. Him and I jostling for third place. So I did get a couple podiums, but I pretty much finished fourth or fifth in in every single race the second season. So after that, I got the bump, and that's when I got my uh, expert plates. 
Good deal. Man, 113 degrees. That's why they, yeah. that's why they're in the winter, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's usually rounds one and seven are the worst September yeah. and April. The, oh gosh, 20, 2020 after, you know, COVID when all of that stuff came out about, you know, social distancing, you can't have large group gatherings, yada, yada, yada. They had to postpone round seven. It should have been in April. And we ended up having it the like the last weekend in May. I think it was like Memorial Day weekend. And it was like 114 degrees that weekend as well. It was absolutely brutal. There were so many times I thought I was just going to pass out. I Potassium, yeah. sodium, I was going through water and Pedialyte and Powerade and eating bananas. And like, it was, it was nuts. It was, it was nuts. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I've, you know, I've done a track day at nineties, you know, a track day. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. trying to run a race and over 110 degrees. That's a race day, just full. Yeah. Yeah. We would, most of us, like I had like those, those wet towel things and you know, I would soak it in a, in a cooler and then put mm -hmm. it in the freezer. And then right as I was about to head out on track before I zipped up my suit, I would tuck that like over my shoulders and around my neck. And then I'd have a buddy like pour an entire bottle of cold water down my back as I'm about to mount the bike to go out on track. And by lap two, you could, I couldn't even tell I had an ice cold towel. It was, it was crazy. But back, so back to what you were asking about. So I had the R6, two amateur seasons, got the white plates, did my first season as a, as an expert with the uh, R6. And I think it was like round three, because I remember it was the December round. I was only doing the middleweight classes and a bunch of my buddies, uh, Anthony was one of them, Will, Richard, a couple other guys. They were like, hey man, if you want to get faster, you have to ride with faster people. So they had they had talked to me at rounds one and two about signing up for the shootout. You know, because only right. experts can face that. And at the time, we didn't have like now we have the the super sports shootout, which is middleweights. At the time, it was just the CVMA shootout, and it was like I was my first time getting on the grid. I think I gridded in like P nineteen or P twenty, and I was I was the the last guy on the grid, but I signed up for it. Uh, and I was racing, you know, there may have been one or two other R6s in the group, but like, that was like Chad Lewin or, you know, Michael Gill. Actually, I think Gill was on it. <laughs> like the, fast, the fastest of the fast are on the track. And I'm just looking in front of me at all these bikes. And I'm like, my first thought is like, I can't believe I let these guys talk. I let them <laughs> but I'm like, what am I doing? And that flag went down and we all took off and it's a 10 lapper. So... By about the time I saw cross flags, I was expecting to just, you know, to be like, oh my gosh, I, I can't finish. Because I had never, you know, all the other races were six lap races. Mm -hmm. so I remember I saw crossed flags and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm actually, I'm still in it. And I somehow managed to get around two. I got around an R1 and a ZX10R only because I was able to outbreak them, you know, right. carry more, uh, more entry speed. But I finished that race and I remember coming off the track. I got back to my pit. A couple guys were there. They put the bike on stands. They put the warmers on for me. I went in the RV and I just laid down on the couch for like 45 minutes. I was like, I was, I was dead. But it, again, it, looking back on it, it was worth it because like that gave me that, that hunger to, you know, I wanted to get faster. Right. So, and I think, I don't remember what my lap time was, but I'm pretty sure I set a PR in that, that shootout. So then I did the shootout for the remaining rounds of the, of the season. I signed up for the shootout on my little 
uh, underpowered R6 and and just, <laughs> you know, just gave her hell. So I had the so R6. Then, so then you yeah. decided you needed a bigger bike. Yeah, yeah. Can't so get faster unless there, I'll, I'll keep this one short because I know I'm just rambling no, on here. So before the BMW came into play, that awesome, that beautiful 2011 CBR 1000 Repsol edition that I loved so much. My buddy, Jason, the one that had the shop in Phoenix, uh, Ricardo Veloce. Hi, Jay. Shout out. He had a 2000. I remember I was online and I was looking at 1000s because I just, my my bike, again, it's a, it was a 2011 and this was in 2019. So it was eight years old. And I was still doing those Saturday night rides with my buddies. And uh, I was like, man, I've got to get a, all my friends are on like new R1s, BMWs, new Cowies. Like, so we would go out and ride and these guys would smoke me on some of our rides. And they had all of the electronics and all of this and that. And I was like, all right, it's time. So I reached out to him because I had found a 2016 Aprilia that was online. So I sent him the link and I said, hey, I know that you know Aprilia's. You sell them. You've ridden them. Is this is this worth the deal? What the guy was asking, and he's like, he sent me back a picture of a 2017. Uh, it was the RSV4. It was the RF version. So it was like the the it was like their factory racing edition, whatever. Mm-hmm. He sent me the link, or he sent me pictures of the bike, and he goes, "Here's what the 2016 has. Here's what the 2017 has. Here's all the upgrades." So the engine's the same, but the 2017 has a lot of upgrades in terms of brakes, suspension, electronics. And he goes, I can sell it to you. I forget what I paid for it, but he's like, I can give it to you for this cost out the door. And it was only like a couple grand more than the, than the 2016. So I bought that Aprilia, told my wife I was going up because he was doing a track there. He was doing like a bike night or whatever at the shop. So I said, hey, I'm going to take the bikes up to put them on display to try to pull in some customers for the track day company, which was DRO track days. What she didn't know is I was trading in my Repsol in for the 2017 Aprilia. <laughs> so, Oof. so I drove the bike up that morning and I came home later in the day with my R6 and my new to me RSV4. Needless to say, she wasn't too happy about that. She actually liked riding on the back of the Honda, um, the Aprilia, not so much. So oh, I rode, yeah, 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 the, the seat. <laughs> The Honda actually had a really comfortable rear seat. The Aprilia, I mean, it was like, literally, it was like... Yeah, it's got the four-inch shelf on the top. Yeah. Yeah. So why not... So a lot of times people get stuck in a little bit of a rut. Like, I see in the early days, you didn't have a lot of seat time on the 7s, the ZX7s, because, you know, unfortunate incidences. Right. But once you found Honda, you liked Honda. When you went to the R6, was it... Uh, out of convenience or it was it was definitely convenience um and honestly at the time it was because i had a budget and i didn't want i was willing to spend you know a couple thousand more but when the guy told me that he was going to sell me this bike that is fully race prepped for twenty two hundred dollars i was like right and this was in 2014 so the bike was two years old i think Mm -hmm. it had three or four thousand miles on it i mean it was the bike was basically brand new. So I could not, I could not pass that up. And I knew that it was going to be a, a, a huge improvement over that CBR 600 that I was riding. Yeah. Agreed. So same question. So now we're, we're still, we're still a Honda fan. Oh, absolutely. I still am to this day. I love Hondas. But, but then you went and scrapped went Euro. instead of a new, instead of a new CBR. 
Yeah. So this was this was after years of riding. I loved my Honda. The I loved both of them. The 05 was an awesome bike. The 11 was an awesome bike. But and you guys probably know this just like everybody else does. I mean, from like 2012 to even up until probably two, three years ago, the CBR 1000, they didn't make any changes. You know, they they made tweaks to the engine for performance and, and power delivery uh, ergonomics a little bit here and there. You know, they changed the styling. They added some they added some some uh, electronics to the bike, you know, dashes and, and, and the TC and the you know, quick shift and all that stuff. But like overall, Honda wasn't really doing a lot to keep up with their competitors. And then, of course, I forget what year BMW came out with the S1000, but like that thing, that bike just started, it was blowing everybody else out of the water. And my buddy, Brandon, the one that got me into track in the first place, he had an 08 CBR and then he went and bought, I think it was a 2014 uh, S1000. And the first time he brought that out, I, I like, you know, we had places around Tucson. We had areas where we would go, uh, you know, have a little fun, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, bike versus bike versus bike versus bike. Yeah, the, the Mexico border is right there. We, we understand. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a little <laughs> section in Tucson. It's called Aviation Highway. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it's just, maybe it's a mile and a half long, but it's like a, a shortcut that'll get you like into like the heart of downtown Tucson. Okay. But it's two lanes, but it's separated by like a 50 foot median that has like concrete on either side. And the other side is a giant wall because there's a railroad, there's railroad tracks there. So we used to race each other. We had like this little thing that we did. We, we would always, we would get, you know, nose to nose and there was a certain traffic light. We would all drop it down into like first or second gear, like 30 or 40 mile an hour roll on, and then just go when we'd hit that traffic light. And at the time before he bought that BMW, my Honda was actually one of the faster bikes, not by much. I mean, I would pull away from these guys. We would basically race from one light, from one light to the next. And sometimes if he got a good jump, he'd get me or I'd get him. But like more often than not, until these guys started coming out with BMWs, I was always like right there, you know, towards the front. Well, he got that BMW and I mean, I saw nothing but taillights and I was like, wow, I need a new bike. So, okay. I mean, I, again, I, I kept it for several years. Um, I did like that bike. It's very, very smooth, very, um, very comfortable to ride, easy to work on. But it was it was time. The bike had, oh, man, I don't even remember how many thousand miles were on it. It was up there. I put a lot of miles on that bike. But just Aprilia was just sitting there. You know, it was like the shiny new toy under the Christmas tree. And mm-hmm. I was like, I need this bike. So we got to put the Aprilia on pause before we leave the Honda real quick. I did yeah. some Instagram stalking on you, and you, you oh, put boy. that thing on a you put that thing on a drag strip one time. Oh, uh, that was my 05. Was it? That was my 05. Yeah, I actually did that here when I was stationed here the first time. Friday nights they called it Midnight Mayhem. I believe they still do it. Um, <laughs> you can pretty much take anything, and I don't even know if it has to be street legal, but they do cars, trucks, bikes, whatever you want to drag race. I think it was like a hundred dollar fee. You had to sign a waiver. And then, you know, you just had to have basically like what you would have uh, to go to the track full suit or, you know, full suit over the ankle boots, you know, uh, gauntlet style gloves and helmet. I think the only thing I didn't have was a tether for the kill switch. But mm-hmm. uh, the guys, they, they saw that I had everything else and they were like, let them go. 
So I did, um, I did that on one Friday night, maybe 10 or 12 passes. Uh, the whole, my whole goal for the night was to get down to 10 seconds. I was almost there. I got down to 11 seconds. Okay. But, uh, that was my first time. That was my first time launching a motorcycle, uh, on the drag strip. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Does that, uh, you think that helped when you started doing road racing? Um, having that yes little bit no. of experience. Yes and no. The Honda, the, the CBR, the first time that I like ever tried to launch it, I think I, I think I stalled it. I think I like dumped the clutch too soon and stalled it. Uh, the R6, I can tell you, of all the bikes that I raced, that R6, I had my best launches ever on that R6. That thing is like I knew right where to let the clutch out to and how many RPMs, like eight, 9,000 RPMs, and I knew right where the clutch was going to grab, and I would just hold it there. And as soon as the, you know, as soon as they would raise that green flag, man, I could just, because I wasn't putting a lot of power down, you know, it was only, like I said, 100, 116 horsepower. So every now and then the front wheel would come up, but I got really good at launching that R6. When I put, when I put my 05 on the drag strip here, I like slow rolled it. Like my reaction times, you know, cause it shows you on your little right. slip at the, when you come back and they give you your little slip of paper, my reaction times from like when the light would turn green to my motorcycle would actually start moving was like, 1.2 1.5 seconds because i didn't i didn't know over the course of the night i got a little bit quicker but i definitely wasn't like you know i wasn't setting any records that's for sure all right they using a were, were they using a full stage lights yeah 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 i was racing uh, i was racing against other other bikes I, I raced this one guy uh he also had a cbr 1000 i was better once i got going i was better at like hitting my shift points so I would, I beat him a couple, he beat me once or twice, but I think I beat him most of the time. It was fun though. I mean, you know, go as fast as you want, nothing to worry about. So I enjoyed that, but I was like, eh, I don't see a future in this. So I just never went back and did it again. I, I, I don't, I don't blame you. I'm, that's why I kept looking over my shoulder. I got a picture of my car at Las Vegas motor speedway. I used to drag okay. race there. All right. And uh, I, I tell people all the time, it's a boring sport comparatively speaking. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with, you know, going uh I think my best my best pass was 11 seconds at like 134. And I mean, to me that was like I was like this is awesome, you know, going 134 mm -hmm. miles an hour, but again, in a straight line and it only lasts for 10 to 12 seconds, so I was like, eh, it was fun to do it, but yeah, I, an, I definitely an experience, right? Yeah, an experience. So speaking yeah. of experiences, we're going back to the Aprilia now, Easton. All right. Uh, okay. We're going back to the Aprilia. We want, I, I want an overview on the, the overall experience of East, Easton's got an Aprilia. I do. Couple, what do you have? A couple of years. It's a 19, 1100, first year with the 1100. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I, oh man, that that's an amazing bike. I, I had an opportunity to ride a demo uh, when I was mm -hmm. working with DRO track days. I can't remember who... I can't remember who came to Indy, but they brought a couple demos and um, I was one of the rider coaches, but they, you know, I had an opportunity towards the afternoon to, uh, to take one of those 19s out. And I was like, man, like I, I loved my 17, mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, way more power like that, that Honda made about a hundred and I had it dynoed one time up in Phoenix at my buddy's shop. Mind you, it was July. It was, so it was super hot out. They did it at like eight o'clock at night and it dynoed at like 100 and 
150 some, it was like 155 horsepower. Interesting. Okay. So I, I think in ideal conditions, I think that bike was right around 165 mm-hmm. is, is what uh, me and a couple other guys that had Hondas, they had had, they had had their bikes dynoed prior and they said both of theirs were like 163 to 165 and mine was just slightly faster than theirs. So I figured that bike made about 165. The Aprilia, you know, advertised at like 201, right? 202, mm-hmm. 201, 202. So I knew that I was getting a lot more bike as well. It's funny because when I first bought it, I had no intentions of putting it on the track. Like that was going to be my street bike. And I okay. loved it. I mean, I was, I was still going out doing my, you know, doing the Saturday night rides with my buddies in Tucson. I did take it to the track one time just to ride it as like, like I was doing like C group coaching mm-hmm. and, uh, that day that turned out to be a bad idea had a little oops so i found out real quick about parts availability i'll say um <laughs> it took months it took months for me to get the bike back because everything was coming from overseas okay hold on that was your first time on track with the aprilia that was my first time on track with the aprilia we don't need to you don't need oop. to say you don't need to say what you're about to say cuz easton took his aprilia the first that. time to the track and had an oops also it's- it's an Aprilia thing, man. It's funny too. Like my wife jokes about it because she's like, well, pretty much every bike that I've ever bought right after I bought it, something has happened. Obviously going back to the, you know, when, when we were talking about my, my ninjas, the X seven R's, it kind of seems to be a theme with me. Um, cause you know, you guys wouldn't know this, but it, it happened on the BMW as well. Not at the last round, but it happened at round two. So we'll get there. Yeah. So I, I took the bike out. I was still, it was still on the tires. It was on the, uh, the Pirelli, um, like SPs or whatever they came with the street tires. And I didn't think anything of it, but it was a dumb mistake. I, I, I messed up. It wasn't serious damage, but it was enough that it took several months. Like I bought the bike in May and that happened in June. I didn't get the bike back until October. It just took forever for parts to come in. So after that happened, I was like, okay, now I know, like it's hard to get parts for this thing. Um, so let's not do that again. And, uh, so then I was, so talking about all this racing, right? So now I'm, now I'm racing the the R6. I'm racing extra classes. I'm not really riding on the street as much for whatever reason. And I think part of it was because a lot of my buddies that I rode with in Tucson, like a couple of them left, you know, they moved away. My buddy, Brandon, he, he sold his bike and just completely stopped riding altogether. And then a couple of the other guys that I would ride with, they just stopped coming out. So then like there was like this new bike scene in Tucson and I didn't know a lot of these people, like they knew each other, but I was significantly older than a lot of these guys. You know, I was, I was late thirties. These guys were like barely 22, 23. Right. So I just didn't really have the interest in going out because it was like, okay, if I go down there, if nobody's there, then I just showed up and I'm just going to go home or I'm going to go down there and not know anybody. I'm just going to be like that weird guy in the corner that doesn't know who to talk to, even though a year prior there was like, I mean, some nights we'd have 25, 30 bikes, you know, we would all meet up at like the same location and we'd go on these really cool rides. Uh, but then it just little by little, everybody stopped riding or they left. Hmm. So I, so I stopped riding and then I would take it out occasionally on the weekends. You know, I'd, I'd go up the mountain by myself, like on a Saturday morning and that was fun and all, but like, it just wasn't the same. So there was like a stretch where the Aprilia, sat in my garage, like no kidding in a matter of like eight or nine months, I think I took it out two or three times. 
Like it, I just, I was paying insurance. I'm paying for a motorcycle. I'm paying the insurance and I'm not riding it. It's just sitting in my garage. Wife doesn't like to ride it. Yep. And she, exactly. She didn't want to ride it either. So one day I was like, you know what? I've been racing the, I've been racing the R6. I know what this bike can do, the Aprilia. Um, I know what, I know what it can do just from riding it on the street. It's got all kinds of power. It's got all of the electronics. This is, this is a race bike that's on the street right now. Why don't I just race the damn thing? So I, I got online and I ordered fairings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I took all of the stock stuff off the bike piece by piece. I took pictures of everything. I ended up selling all the street stuff. I didn't even keep any of it. So, you know, I, I, I did all the things that needed to make it, you know, street legal. I got all of the, the case covers, got the fairings, drilled everything, you know, made it all, made it all race legal. And it honestly, it didn't, it didn't need much really. The bike did not need much. Uh, I put, I put, I took the stock rear sets off and I put a set of, um, of a Evol technology rear sets on it. And I started racing it. So I took it to Chuck Walla after the bike had been sitting And this. Mind you, this was a project I'd been working on for probably four or five months, like where it had just sat. And then I started slowly piece by piece. I started turning it into a race bike. Got, you know, I got my, got my number plates, got my decals, got everything I needed to put it on the, on the track. Finally, uh, round seven, this is of 2000, this would have been 2022, round seven of CBMA. I took the bike out and I raced it. I rode it on Friday, put some slicks on it. And then I ended up, I raced, I raced both bikes that weekend. I raced the R6 in, in the, uh, the middleweight classes and I raced the Aprilia. I only did the Formula 40 races because, yeah, I think for whatever reason, um, there were, there was, there was a reason I didn't, I didn't race the Aprilia in other classes. I think it, I think I chose not to, because I knew in like super sport open and formula open looking at the the guys that were, you know, fighting for the championship. And I was like, I don't want to be out there. And these guys were fast, right? Like I'm, I'm stepping up from a, from a 116 horsepower R6 to a 200 horsepower, you know, 1000 that I have limited track time on. So I was like, well, I'll go out and I'll race it in formula 40. Cause those are much smaller grids. Like, you know, maybe eight, 10 bikes versus 30. Mm -hmm. So, so I raced it in formula 40 and, uh, I actually did really well. Um, Jeff Whitmer, he, he ended up winning the formula 40 championship that year, but I felt bad because I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that he was in the lead for the points and I got behind him on the track and I actually, I made a, we'll call it a questionable call, a questionable <laughs> move, uh, to pass him. But like, it was like, he gave me like a small window of opportunity and I took it, but I wasn't quite prepared for how the bike was going to react. So luckily nothing happened, but I definitely put a questionable move on him to get around him. And then, you know, ended up finishing the race and uh, I was like, okay, we're racing the Aprilia. I kept, I kept the R6 for a while though, before I sold it. Cause I was like, well, you know, I, I'll flip flop back and forth until somebody talked me into it. Like, Hey, if you're, if you're going to race with the big boys, just keep the R6 for track days if you want to, but like just race the Aprilia. Well, not to rub salt in the wound, but you might have wanted to keep that R6 one more year because they double every six months at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. That. Yeah, man. I. So we're all the way up to 22 now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is two years ago. Um, 
And now I'm at the point in the story that I told you, I said, there's a, there's a story with the Aprilia and we'll get there. And here we are. So a bunch of us, a bunch of the CVMA guys, we decided, all right, we're going to go up to Utah and we are going to race USBA. We've had a bunch of USBA riders come down. You know, they all love riding with CVMA and we're going to go up there and we're going to show them how the CVMA boys race. Right. So we go up there. I raced both bikes um, that first time. It was round one. I raced both bikes. Did did okay on the R6. You know, I this was my first time in Utah, mind you. We were riding, we were racing east. So this was my first time. I went out in the morning on the R6 because I was like, all right, I wanna I wanna get to know this track on a bike that I have a lot more seat time on. Mm-hmm. Right. So I went out and did uh, warm ups in the morning on the R6, and it was weird too, right? Like I wasn't, we weren't used to the um your your warm-ups are also your qualifying and you get two of them you know we were used to how we were doing it at cvma at the time was you got a warm-up session before you qualified right you know that that just changed recently so i go out on the track and i'm like all right cool like i don't even i couldn't even tell you what my lap time was i mean it was it was ridiculous my first time coming into what is it the is it the attitudes the you know the quick left right you know left right left the attitudes yeah so first lap on the r6 coming up that little straightaway, you know, it goes uphill and it come into the attitudes. And of course I knew the track from watching videos, but I didn't realize that it was that sharp of a turn. Yeah. Right. I went, I went straight across the track into the rocks. Yep. yep, yep, yep. I, I almost did that. <laughs> oh, I, and I'm thinking to myself, like the person behind me is probably like, this guy's an idiot. But again, first time there came in way too hot. Didn't turn in soon enough. Didn't realize how sharp I had to, you know, or how far over I had to lean target fixated. And I was like, all right, there's enough runoff. I went off the track into the rocks, looked over my shoulder, a couple bikes went by, got back on the track. I was like, shook it off. Let's not do that again. So I went out, you know, did a couple more laps, felt good about it. And I was like, okay, took the bike back in. Uh, next session, I took the Aprilia out because I wanted to get, uh, I wanted to get times for both bikes. Now I knew the track. Okay. Now, now let's put down some, some heaters on the Aprilia. I did okay. Like I know, and like, it's weird up there how they do grids. Cause like, I know some people, if they're like in the lead for points, they'll put them further ahead. And regardless, I think of how they, how they qualified, I can't remember how it works. Yeah. It goes, it goes by points. If you don't have points then it goes by when you registered. Hmm. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So for, so for my first couple of races up there, you know, I was, I was middle or I was back of the pack, right? Like I think one of the races on the R6, I was the, the last bike. By the time I got around to like turn four or whatever, I'd passed a few. I did okay. I podiumed on the R6. I think I got a third place. One of the middleweight races. I can't remember which one it was. The Aprilia, I did okay. No issues the first time. Went back up. And initially I said, all right, I'm only going to do one round and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see. I'll see how I like the track. So I went back and I can't remember which round it was. I think at the time, maybe West course was closed and they were, I think they were just doing the East course for like the whole series or the whole season. Cause we went back the next round and I did not take the R6. I think at this point, did I still have it? I can't remember if I had it or if I had sold it. So I go back up with the Aprilia and no issues on Saturday, rode all day. Everything was fine. I did okay in formula 40 and I, I knew I knew who my competition was for the, for, uh, or no, that's right. Yeah. Cause you guys, it was only on Saturdays. Yeah. You guys, they didn't mm-hmm. race. Both days. I knew who my competition was. I think it was from the previous round is what I'm referring to. So <laughs> the lights go out 
and I was on like the second or third row, but there, there was a lot of open spots in front of me on the grid. And somehow I got the whole shot going into turn one. I blew right by a guy, I think his bike stalled or something, or he, something happened to him on the starting line and he didn't get a good launch. And somehow I got the whole shot for Formula 40. And I think, it, yeah, it's an eight lap race, correct? Their sprints are eight laps up there? Uh, seven. Seven? Okay. Okay. So I'm in the lead. Laps are going by. And I think we were on lap six. Go through the attitudes. The le- Go through the attitudes and then that left-hander. And like, two, uh, was it uh, Tuella Corner, right? Yep. After the attitudes. So I'm coming down that back straight and I'm coming into the clubhouse. And the rider behind me who was in second, and he shows me a wheel. So I'm like, not a chance, man. Like I've been leading this entire race. I am not giving, I'm not going to like, you want it. You're going to have to, you're going to have to earn it. Mm -hmm. So we're about to turn in for wind up and release. And I let off the brake as we're coming in, you know, to allow myself to get past him. I don't know what the other rider did. I can only speculate. And I've had other, after the fact, I had other people tell me, oh, this is what he said he did or whatever. Whatever. It was an incident. It was two years ago. I'm over it. But uh, he he either tucked the front or or lost control of his bike or somehow somehow his bike went down and his bike hit my swing arm on the left hand side and down I went hmm. and went crashed you know skidded across the track into the gravel there uh, into the clubhouse. Yeah. So that was for that those was listening. Like, clubhouse is a ninety degree to the left. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I mean we were. Forward. We weren't quite to the corner when he showed me a wheel, but we were getting close. And like, I mean, you, you get you have laps at that track. You know how fast you come into that turn. Yep. You're you're coming in. You're you're moving. You're hauling. So yep. he hit me. I felt my bike like wiggle underneath me, and then next thing I know, like my whole bike is literally airborne on its side, and then me and my bike separate. I go like, <laughs> I'm still going straight, but somehow. When I, when I landed on the ground, like I, my, my body spun around and I'm literally looking at the bike and it's coming right at me. I'm like, Oh God, please don't hit me. Please don't hit me. <laughs> Which it didn't. It didn't. I was fine. Nothing broken. I, my shoulder was pretty sore, but no, no, no injuries. Just a, mm-hmm. just a sore shoulder. And uh, yeah, the bike, the bike was beat up somehow in that crash, a wire somewhere in the main harness, a wire got pinched that happened in like April or May. So I had the whole summer. I entered, I did not go back to Utah. I had the whole summer. I tore the whole bike apart, had to get new fairings, you know, windscreen. Uh, I waited forever for a clip on cause my left clip on broke. It took forever. Like it took months before that thing showed up. Uh, a couple other things, rear sets, whatever. I got the bike back together. Round one of CVMA is starting. I take the bike out and I rode it. Now, mind you, I hadn't, the bike hadn't been on track since, since that incident at Utah. Right. Now it's September. So, you know, whatever, four or five months later, bikes back together, no issues. Go out and I ride on, um, you do our track day on Friday. I ride the bike, seems to be doing fine. Nothing's wrong with it. Saturday, go out and qualify. And then my first race of the day, I don't remember which race it was. I'm on like lap two. We're coming out of the bowl, going up the slide to go down the back straight. And all of a sudden, as I'm coming out of the bowl, I go to accelerate and the bike just bogs down and my whole dash lights up like a Christmas tree. 
Jeez. I thought I overheated because it was pretty, yeah, it was hot. It was probably 108, 109 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, oh man, did I, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, oh man, did I, did I not burp the coolant? You know, did I not flush it out? Is, did I, did I not fill it up enough? Like I'm thinking that I just, I made a mistake, something to do with the radiator and uh, spent the rest of the day trying to figure out what's wrong with the bike, trying to, you know, trying to, I've got um, warning lights on my dash, like just the bike's just not running. My weekend was done basically at that, at that point, that was round one round two. I went back out to work, but I didn't ride because the bike, the bike still wasn't fixed. I had taken it to a place here in town. Um, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. They, you know, they, their mechanics, they put it on a dyno. They're like, yeah, it's still doing the same thing. They did clear out all the codes. Cause I mean, it had a, it had a slew of codes, um, when they downloaded it. So then something I, I replaced, I think they replaced a sensor or something like that. I went back out for round three. Yeah, because that was round one. Round two was October or November, whatever it was. I went back out for round three, and the bike seemed to be doing fine. And then all of a sudden, not in a race, luckily, I think it was actually during the Friday track day, the bike did the same thing. I went to get on the gas, and it bogged down. And all the and, and literally, like it was a repeat of what happened at round one. Hmm. So another, you know, here we go all over again, rinse and repeat. Packed the bike up, you know, didn't race the rest of the weekend. Called up my buddy Jason at Reparto, told him what was going on. He's like, bring us the bike. So I came home from the track and like the following weekend, I threw the bike in the truck and I drove it down to Phoenix. And they they went through everything. Um, oh, I, and in the process, I also found out the crash from Utah. I didn't realize at the time, the filler neck, like the lip of the uh the radiator where the cap screws on it had bent the metal just enough that it wasn't making a good seal right so it was allowing air it was like sucking air into my radiator or something or i think maybe it was spraying coolant out yes it was like somehow it was spraying coolant out of underneath the cap but it was coming out in like a fine mist so i never really i never realized that i couldn't see it they unfortunately found out when they got the bike hot enough on their dyno and it started like leaking so he wasn't too happy about that. I ended up having to get a new radiator. So they replaced the harness. They took the whole bike apart. They're like, hey, we've checked every single thing that we can think of. This is our last ditch effort. We have a harness in the shop. We're going to plug it into your bike and see if the bike runs. And it did. The bike ran. They took it, you know, they put it on the dyno, did it for a test run, and everything was fine. He's, he calls me up. He's like, hey, come get your piece of crap. <laughs> they were working on it. So I went back and I got the bike, brought it home, put everything back on it, and I put it on the track and it went into limp mode in the middle of a race. Now this is like round four or five. I can't even remember, right? So it's like this this whole season up to this point, round one was a was a you know was a wash because that's when everything happened. I missed round two. Round three was a repeat of round one. I think round four I actually missed altogether for whatever reason. I think I didn't even go to the track that round. So now it's like round, it's like round five or six. I get the bike back. It's got a new harness in it, no issues. But now it's like, it's like March. It's getting hotter at the track. The bike is starting to overheat. And now all of a sudden it goes into limp mode. And I'm like, what is going on with this bike? So I download all the codes. I get on a bunch of forums. I start talking to people. Come to find out it was my gear position sensor. Somehow from the heat. It, it basically melted the sensor hmm. and it was causing the bike to, it was going haywire. Like I lost quick shift. I lost blip. I lost something on my dash went crazy. 
and then the bike went into limp mode and it was like the, it just didn't want to run mm-hmm. so i was like all right well i'm going to try this sensor before i take the bike back to the shop i got a new gear position sensor it came in i put it in the bike and finally round seven the bike ran fine but you still sold it that was my first full season <laughs> racing the racing the aprilia wow so cvma is over it's like the story just never ends, right? It's just, it's a saga with me and these bikes. So CBMA is over. And one of the guys that works at Chuck Walla, he's also on the staff for CRA. And he's like, Hey, we're going to be racing in Casa Grande at podium club. Um, we're short on tech and like me, Jeff, Anthony, uh, a few others, uh, Rainey, Nick, a bunch of us. He's like, are you guys going to be going? Would you be interested in coming and racing with CRA? And can you guys do tech for us? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I wanted to ride this track, you know, cause after I left Arizona and, and moved back up here, that's when the track opened. Right. So we go to CRA and it's hot. It's, it's what it's May. I think it was May. And my bike is overheating like bad. Like my, my, my dash was reading like 240 plus. Wow. Other, what? other guys. Yeah. Other guys are experiencing overheating issues, but you know, they're seeing 220 to 225. I'm seeing 220 like on the starting grid before we even start racing. So I have no idea what's going on with my bike. I'm I'm checking the coolant, it's low, I'm filling it, I'm burping it, I'm doing all this stuff with the bike. Cannot figure out it's got a new radiator, a new radiator cap. It can't be electronics, you know, like it there's something wrong with the engine or something wrong with the coolant system. Could not figure it out for the life of me. I'm talking to Jason because he was there as the uh, the Dunlop distributor. I'm talking to all kinds of people. Um, I did an oil change at the track. I thought, okay, let's drain the oil, make sure there's no coolant in there. Drain the oil. It was fine. Um, doing everything I can think of to, to figure out what's going on with this bike. Made it through the weekend successfully, I guess. Um, I ended up like I didn't even start like my last two races because I, I knew there was something wrong with the bike and I didn't want to. I didn't want to cook the engine. I'm, I'm, up to this point, I had already cooked the engine enough. I didn't want to do any more damage. So I talked to Jason. I'm like, hey, can I bring the bike to you at the end of the day? And you guys take it back to your shop and figure out what's going on with this thing. He's like, yep, bring it over. So I take, I strip all the plastics off of it. I take everything off that's not needed. I wheel it over to him and he takes the bike to his shop. About two weeks goes by and they call me. And, uh, and then they sent me pictures and the engine was basically the engine was done. The engine, the, the, <laughs> the pistons, like the valve seats were cracked. The cylinders had scoring the, the engine had a lot of damage from when it was hitting those temperatures at, at a mm. podium. Wow. I got that issue resolved. I'll just, I'll just say that that problem was fixed and then the bike <laughs> went up for sale and then I sold it. Fair I was enough. like, I was like, good riddance. I'm done. Yeah. Problem, problem child. Sometimes you just got to yeah. get rid of them. Yeah. It, it was crazy too. Right. Because up to that point, I'd never had a problem up to the crash in Utah. I'd never had a problem with that bike. Mm-hmm. Um, after that crash, it was like literally a full year went by and I never, maybe once, maybe one time completed a, a successful race weekend. It was yeah. just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, not having the parts availability, like anytime if I needed something, I had to order it. 
like I think AF1 Racing was the company I was going through or like HSBK. And even yeah. sometimes they didn't have parts. Not having the trackside supportability, you know, there's not a lot of Aprilia's at Chuckwalla. There are, mm-hmm. there seems to be more now, but like at the time there was maybe five or six. Nobody really had experience working on them to, you know, to, to diagnose problems, to help me figure out this, that, or the other. So after a year of issues, I was like, if I don't get rid of this bike, it's, it's going to nickel and dime me to death. So once I got it fixed, took it up to, took it back to Utah for the summer track day circus to make sure that it was good. It was, had no issues the whole weekend. And then I sold it. Poor, yeah, poor bike, you know, finally gets good for you and you just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, addition by subtraction. That's what that was. Yeah. Addition by subtraction. Yeah. Oh that, man. That was probably so, a good call. Yeah, and then, you, and, and then, and then you had a decision to make. I had you a looked big out at the world. You've seen all the bikes on the market. Here we go. What? Uh, and then oh, you found the best one. And obviously there was, only yeah, I was, option. I was, I was, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the sales pitch. I, I knew you were going to say something about his sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Jeff, you know, working at Long Beach BMW, the, the Aprilia hadn't sold yet. It was still in my possession, still had it here at the house, but it was listed. It was, you know, it was actively listed in multiple places. I had a couple bites. Um, I hadn't gotten any serious bites, but I was like, I should at least start looking for my next bike. So I reached out to Jeff and I said, Hey, do you guys have any used, you know, but new-ish used in good shape S1000s? And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, I have one of our Apex um, staff bikes that we used when we, you know, because we have, they basically, uh, Long Beach BMW a couple of years ago started sponsoring Apex with uh, two S1000s. So we take those out, you know, control riding, whatever, um, as part of our, our track days. And one of the, uh, yeah, this this was last year. This is 2023. He's like, I have the 22. It's got like 3000 miles on it. That bike was involved in a little oops at one of our track days. So they, Jeff had to take it back to the shop and they, they had to tear it all down and fix everything. Not by me disclaimer, not by me. (laughs) Um, but he's like, it's got like 3000 miles on it. Here's how much it's going to cost. And he goes, I can bring it to you. And I was like, deal. I said, just let me sell the Aprilia. So I got at this point, I'm like super excited because I'm like, oh man, like I know that this, this S1000 is a really nice bike. Um, I had ridden, you know, two of ours uh, as staff bikes. Granted, they didn't have like any of the, they had all of the restrictions still on them and, you know, they were in street trim on street tires or whatever, but I knew what the bike was capable of seeing a lot of the fast guys out of Chuck Walla, you know, Jack Back and Corey Alexander, I'm trying to Jeff on, on his bike. I, I knew what the bike was capable of. And mm-hmm. so I definitely wanted it, but I had to get the Aprilia sold. And then just by sheer luck, somebody hit me up. They messaged me and they were like, Hey, uh, I think I had it. I'm trying to remember how much I had it listed for. And I wasn't trying to make a killing on it. Like I, I priced it so that it was an attractive, you know, I wanted it, I wanted it to be appealing to the buyer to be like, wow, like that's actually not a bad deal for that bike. I think I listed it for 12. And the guy was like, I'll give you 11. And I was like, you know what? It's now or never deal. Yeah. It took it took a couple of weeks communicating back and forth. Um, but he finally did end up making it here to Vegas. 
and I gave him the bike and all the spares that I had with it. And I was like, good luck, you know, best of luck to you, my friend. Audio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, hopefully he's not. Yeah. Well, I guess it doesn't matter if he's listening and gets the history, you know, it was, it was fine after that. It was just, yeah, the, but yeah, the bike runs fine. So. Um, after a lot of work and well, not so much work by me, but just the money that I dumped into that thing. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you're on a, I thought maybe it would have been, sorry. I I thought you would have been scared away from maybe European brands after that story, but no, just the Italians, just the Italians. (laughs) I have a, my, my buddy, Jason, it's funny when I, before I even bought that Aprilia, he had, I can't remember if it was a, if it was an Aprilia or a Ducati, I think he had a, an older Ducati or something, or maybe it was like an MV. He had an exotic bike. He had an Italian bike that he was thinking about selling. And at that time, I thought he was selling it as a track bike, but he was actually selling it as a street bike. I remember asking him about it and he, he made kind of a funny comment that I, I won't say on here what he said, but he <laughs> you know, his, his description of, of, uh, owning an exotic motorcycle, uh, it, was, it hit the nail on the head for me after after I went through all those problems with the Aprilia. I was like, yep, he wasn't kidding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So after that, I was done. So now I'm on a 22S1000RR, uh, courtesy of our good friend Jeff Whitmer and uh, Long Beach BMW. And it so far has been absolutely amazing. I, I love this bike. I absolutely love it. So, so favorite bike of all time or just just real good so definitely favorite race bike okay in priority order the bmw for sure number one the r6 a very close number two and the aprilia is a very distant number three (laughs) i would i would i would race a 2012 r6 again right now before i would get back on an aprilia interesting do you think that's just because of the the bad experience with that one specific or Absolutely. It, yeah. It has nothing to do. They, listen, they're, they're amazing machines. You own one that 2019, mm-hmm. like I was telling you, I got a, I had a chance to ride a demo at Indy uh, on a track day and I was blown away at how smooth, like just coming out of coming out of turn two onto the straightaway and just cracking the throttle on that bike. And I, you know, I'd been on I, my Aprilia, I had taken out there and I, I was impressed, you know, again, going from an R6 to an Aprilia, that was a huge jump. But when I went from my 17 to that that 2019, the uh, factory 1100, I was like, man, this this thing is a missile. It and mm-hmm. it even on street tires, that thing was super smooth. I was very mm-hmm. impressed by that bike. I just I just think something happened in that crash in Utah. Yeah. Something something happened that just you know domino effect, and it just one thing led to another. So, but for me personally, my BMW is definitely my favorite race bike. Favorite favorite of any bike I've ever put on the track. Uh, okay. The R6 is, is number two though. So I'm going to put you out on a limb on the BMW. Yeah. So I know, I know you recently last round, I believe ran your new PR. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the shout out. Jeff. <laughs> I did. Um, so my, I, I have a question yeah. related to that. Yeah. I, I want, I want you to put a percentage on, you say the BMW is your favorite bike. Uh, race bike so far what what percentage of it is 
you getting better or better equipment underneath you? That's a good, good question. Oh, um, that is a great question. Um, I'm going to say it's probably in the range of 65 to 70% I can put on the bike. And I would say 30 to 35% me. So yeah, so so Jeff threw it out there. I got I got a PR at the last round when you were there. Uh, I finally, I finally, <laughs> I've been chasing 49s for literally two years at Chuckwalla because I got down to like a 51 flat on my R6. And then I got down to a 50.6 on the Aprilia. But that was, like I said, that was like two years ago or a year and a half, whatever. Probably two years ago on the R6. So I've, I have been, I've been chasing that for so long. And, you know, all the guys that are, you know, the whole apex crew, they all know it, you know, we, you know, we, we, we give each other a hard time and, you know, we tease each other and we talk a lot of crap, but like at the end of the day, we, we also support each other. And like these guys, they know how much I've, how long I've been chasing a 49 out there, like in my eyes. And this is, again, this is just my personal opinion. You're not, if you're doing, if you're doing like real low fifties, you know, fifties, 51s, 52s, like, especially on a, on a 600, you're moving, right. right? Like you're moving, especially if you're just like a club racer years ago, before Chuck Wally got resurfaced, like the guys that were running 49s and fifties, like we put them on a pedestal. Like they were considered the elite racers at Chuck Walla. But again, these are guys like, again, Michael Gilbert, Chad Lewin, Aussie Dave, I'm trying to think out who else, uh, you know, we had some other Moto America guys that were coming out there and and then they were going out there and running like 48s and we're like, oh my gosh, how is that even possible? You know, right. now we've got guys out there running 44s, but it, it took me several years to get there. It, it, it was a lot on me, just racecraft uh, mentality, just not using the damn brakes so much to be completely honest with you. Like, <laughs> You, once you start getting down to those speeds, like it pretty much like a, a 50, 51, even like a 52 flat, like you, like you said, you're still moving, but it's just making those little minor and, and they seem so minor when you look at them individually. But, you know, uh, I had the opportunity, you were out there, I had, had, had the opportunity to do uh, Dale's day on that Thursday. Mm -hmm. Were you there for that? Yeah, you were there, right? Yep. Yep. And, you know, like what him and, and Josh and Josh were talking about, you know, if, if you can find a tenth of a second in each corner, that's, you know, that's almost two seconds, right? Yeah. So for me, it was all about knowing what I knew about the track and knowing the hardest part for me, or I guess actually the easiest part for me was being able to identify my own weaknesses. Like there are like three corners on that track, depending on which direction, whether we're going clockwise or counterclockwise. Every race weekend, I would go to the track and be like, well, I know I'm going to screw up in this turn, or I know I'm going to go slow in this turn. I know I'm going to overbreak in this corner because I do it every single time. And I think that's why I say, I think having that bike underneath me gave me just that little extra boost of confidence because I know what the bike's capable of. Like I just, I just had to let the bike do what it can do. So, but again, 10th of a second here and there, like, so I went from a 50.6 was my PR on the Aprilia to a 49.6 on the BMW. But now finally getting over that threshold, now I look at it, I'm like, cool. Well, now I'm only, what was I? I think it was like a 
five something. So I'm like seven tenths away, seven tenths of a second away from a 48. Like that's, that's my new mentality, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Never satisfied. Yeah. And then I'll get the 48s and I'll be like, I know, and I look at people like, like lug, uh, Ty, Will, you know, these guys like well, <laughs> lug lives in like the 45s and 46s now, but a couple of these other guys, you know, they, they, they literally go out on the track and they're living in the 47s and 48s. So I'm right there. I just, I just have to figure out what's next. So that's my goal for the next round is, is a 48 to be completely honest. Even if it's a 48, nine, 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 I don't care. Kind of like uh, I watched your, your podcast with Lug, you know, and he said that he went out there and he's like, I don't care if it's a 49 or a 44, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's me. I just want that 48.999. I don't care. It's a 48. Yeah. So, yeah. And like you said, yeah. then you want the 147,999, then you want and the then I'm gonna want the 47s. Yeah. Well, yeah. it wasn't until I kept telling myself that when I finally get that that elusive 49 that I've been chasing for two years, I said, I'm not even gonna think about Moto America until I get it. I got it. And then like right around the week of Christmas, I right, so I'm I'm already I'm already like that ball is already rolling. I already got my uh, my race number approved, and uh, well, that was it. that was my next question. Take us into Moto America. What you're planning on doing this year? So, um, initially, initially, I was just going to do the two West Coast rounds, um, the Ridge and Laguna, just because you know proximity from Vegas. Thinking, you know, financially, there's a cost to do all of this, obviously. Um, and then, lug, kind of, sorta. He kind of sort of talked me into adding to that, to that, uh, that plan. So I'm going to do barber and then I think I'm just, I, I think I'm doing the season. I'm going to do, I'm going to do all five. I had a good chat uh, with, with Richard from apex and, uh, and will this weekend, we talked about a lot of stuff and I have a, I have a, I have a plan up here. Just got to put it down to paper, but, I have a vision, I have a plan, and I've got the support around me that I need. So, like, this is it, you know. I'm not getting any younger. I'm going to be 45 in a couple months. So, it's it's time. Like, to me, it's like I got to do this now while I still can. So, I'm I understand. I understand that feeling 100%. I'm a I'm a bit behind you and a bit ahead of you. I'm I'm 46 and I'm not quite ready to make this shift you're making, obviously. But yeah, it's yeah. You so still I'm, could, man. You still could. You just gotta just keep coming out. You just gotta get that uh, get those points. You don't even have to be an expert. You just need the points. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You just gotta. I think the the theme I'm seeing is you just gotta spend enough time down at CVMA, and then you're then you're good to go. So I'll I'll be completely honest. Yes, and you know you guys you guys did one of your podcasts. You know talking about how the pretty much like the fastest racers in the country, you know, the, the fast, the Moto America guys, some come there to race, some come there to test. Right. But, but as far as like club racing, I know you guys had said on your podcast, like, could we, could we officially put that out there? Like taking bets, you know, to other clubs, like who's faster than CVMA. I know Lug talked about it. I have the same mentality he does because I'm out there all the time and I see it. I would put not myself included. I would put the fastest guys from Chuck Walla up against any other club series in this country, hands down. There's, there's, uh, there's just too much evidence from what we see round after round after round. Mm -hmm. And the guys that are making that jump 
yes, you know, there, there's where there's AFM. I know there's CCS on the East Coast and there's other clubs out there, MRA, OMRA, WERMRA. And, you know, I'm sure each each one of those clubs probably does have, you know, their elite riders. And I'm sure some of them are Moto America guys, but the fastest of the fast come to the Southwest uh, to, to race, you know, month in and month out. It's 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 there. So I have a lot of I say all that to say I have a lot of laps there. I've ridden quite a few tracks. I've raced. I've raced with four different organizations now. ASMA a couple times at India raced uh, with those guys just when they happened to be in town. I've raced with, I raced CRA at podium club. Obviously I raced USBA and, and, you know, this is my fifth or sixth year now uh, racing at Chuck Walla. So, but that, I think that track really does prepare you. It, it, it's helped prepare me, I think, to, to make that jump. Plus all the Good other deal. tracks. Good deal. Well, yeah. It's it's good to hear, you know, it's not just lug nut talking like crazy. It's not just, I mean, Cole, <laughs> you went down there. Seems like everyone that, uh, everyone we're talking to, Chuck Wall is a spot. CV America guys. I'm, so. I mean, this is my first year doing Moto America. I'm, I'm nervous and I'm excited at the same time, but like, that's just my personal opinion. I'm in the big picture. I'm a nobody, you know, I'm, I'm a privateer. I'm a privateer who's going to go out there and and uh, give it my go at Stock 1000 and and see how I do. You know, like I said, I, I'm not getting any younger, so I got to do it now. And um, what a what a bucket list item! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm totally rooting for you. This that, that, <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks. I mean, there's not that. I mean, it's it's a rare error to say you race a Moto America event. Period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to talk about un unobtainable. <laughs> you know, track days, racing, club racing, racing Moto America, like that's that's sweet. That's sweet. I this is something that a lot, of, a lot of people don't get a chance to do. So, yeah, um, there. I mean, there are a lot of racers on those grids that I've that I've gridded up against at Chuck Walla or other tracks. You know, a lot of them are, are mid pack, right? Like they're not the guys up front with like the Corey Alexanders and the Ezra Bobiers, you know, but. Some of these guys are legit, you know, top 15 lugs, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember how they all finished at Laguna last year. Um, I was out there as a Ty's, one of Ty's crew chiefs, but Ty, Lug and Will all raced. And I mean, all three of them did, they did pretty well uh, for, you know, for, for privateer guys, they did pretty right. well. So that's why I say like, I know if I can at least get down into the 48s or maybe even my goal is to, is to get down to a 47 by the end of the season. So I've got four rounds to do it. I just need to find 1.6 seconds. I just need Sound to find like another 10th in every corner. <laughs> and that'll, well, I'm that'll sure give me that 47. If you end up doing the whole season, which you're committed to it, you are doing the whole season. Let's just, I am. I, you're just doing it. It just makes um, sense to do it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to only do two or three rounds. Like, cause if I'm going to do three rounds, the only one that was questionable for me was Brainerd because I didn't I didn't really know if I wanted to do that one, but um, I already told my family, and I have a lot of family back in Northeast Pennsylvania, so they're already like super excited to come out in September to New Jersey to watch me race. So I'm like, okay, there's four. I might as well do Brainerd as well. So I'm like, okay. So they're doing they're doing Jersey, Brainerd, Laguna. Um, it, it goes Barber. Uh, in order, it goes Barber. Brainerd, the Ridge, 
Laguna, and then Jersey. But there's a two-month gap between Laguna and Jersey. Are we not? Are they not going to Atlanta this year then? No, uh, Stockton 2000 is only doing five rounds this year. Um, okay, okay. The other thing that it came up, a couple people asked me, they're like, well, you know, do Superbike Cup. And I'm like, pump the brakes, man. Like, this is my first season. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I also have to think about, you know, the financial aspect of that. So, right. uh, which I'm I'm working on that too. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to put together a, uh, like a sponsorship proposal package and, and reach out to various companies, people, you know, my, my, the thing that, the motto, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, the the idea I have in mind is I want to reach out to small businesses, you know, not, not chain organizations, not anybody within the motorcycle industry. Uh, well, I do have a couple, couple shops that I'm going to reach out to that I know of and just, you know, see what they'd be willing to do. But my, my whole thing is like support small businesses that support me. So I'm going to try to put together a, and I've had a couple people reach out to me um, with some ideas to put, to put together a a sponsorship proposal package. And then I'm going to email everything out and see what happens, you know, because obviously that's, that's the biggest thing, right. Is the cost. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, traveling cross country. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine doing it with, with race cost on top. I've, I've done a little bit of cross country motorcycle travel before. Yeah. Yeah. You have track days, but yeah, I can't imagine doing a whole race weekend with that. So, well, fortunately I already have the transportation all, but all, but secured. So that was one of the biggest question marks, right. Was how am I going to get my bike and my gear and all my stuff from track to track to track. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is already, I'll call it a 90%, 90% done deal. That should be finalized here probably in the next month or two. So the rest of it is just going to be on race entries, tires, gas, and then my own transportation, right? Like flying to each track, hotel, food. So just going to have to eat ramen noodles for like the next six months. They're raising the price on those things nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I'm trying to get Easton to go out to the Ridge so we can root for you guys. You have you been there? Yeah. <laughs> Have you? I don't, don't don't start. Don't go to the ridge. Don't start the ridge. That's his no, own baby track. He's in love with. I, I just from watching Moto America, man, that I that's a really nice track. I'm I'm I think Laguna has is like a bucket list item for me just to even ride it, even mm-hmm. if I wasn't going to race. Um, just because, right? It's like one of the most famous tracks, right? The corkscrew, right? Yep. In the, in the world, not not just here in America, yeah, but exactly. in the world, like you, everyone knows you it. You have to ride Laguna. So now I'm going to get that opportunity. Um, Coda is one of my bucket list items, but um, unfortunately, they're not racing there. So Superbike Cup would be an option, but I don't think I'll do that. Uh, and then Barber, right? Barber, Road Atlanta, Road America. If I could get an opportunity to ride any one of those three tracks, that would – so at least I get to check one of those off. And then, uh, yeah, I'm super excited about – I'm excited about Barber, the Ridge, and Laguna. Um, Brainerd and New Jersey, I'm like, eh, whatever. I'll just do it. Right. I mean, I'm excited, but, right, to, to do the whole thing. But but those three tracks are the ones that I'm really looking forward to. Well, the, the Ridge is an awesome track. I'm. It is fun. It is I've very only, fun. I've only done track days out there, but I've done probably five or six. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Out there and uh, – I'm, I'm not sure about that chicane, but other than that, I like the track. <laughs> that new chicane they put in is a little odd, I think. It kind of takes away from the track in certain aspects. 
the the one right after right the first one before you go up the hill mm-hmm. for turn one. Yeah, yeah. That that track had like a, a very very nice smooth almost roller coaster flow to it, and part of that was the the turn one. You come off a, a super long straight, and you're you're hitting turn one, and you don't even really need to break because turn one just shut it just sheds it all for you. Right, because beautifully, it's it's, it's, it's it's uphill, correct? Yep. Yeah. 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 Turn one into two, you're like tap the brakes a little bit and then just send it over and go up the hill and you're right yeah. back on the gas and the chicane kind of just throws that flow off a little bit in my opinion a lot a lot of people like it definitely adds more technicality to it but but oh, sure. between, between one and three it's 500 feet is that oh, correct man. in elevation uh yeah. just about i think that's, that really- spot's about 300 the uh the downhill on the back section is yeah is 500 feet so oh down the um what's it called the staircase or whatever they call it the uh it's the baby corkscrew yeah it is is a corkscrew i think the ridge complex is what they call that okay yeah that's that that turns pretty cool you know because i mean you're like coming in you know downshifting braking it's like a first or second gear entry and then it just drops you down and that looks pretty cool i it was my understanding they put the chicane in because for safety reasons, because mm-hmm. of how fast you were coming into turn one, especially like the superbike class. Yeah. Yeah. I Is mean, the, the club racers out there, people were coming into that corner at hundred and upwards of 180 miles an hour into turn one. So yeah. Wow. There it's usually with or without, they still do it without the chicane. Yeah. They'll still do direct days. Yeah. That's fast. Like going counterclockwise at Chuck on the back straight from turn 11 down to turn 10, you're probably before, like this is just me before I'm getting on the brakes and eventually downshifting, I'm probably hitting 140 something. So I can't even imagine coming into a turn at a hundred and, you know, 180. Yeah. See that Easton? I just realized what my problem is. What? I'm breaking no at like going. 134 on a similar bike, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. There, I'll, there I'm losing it. <laughs> you know, I'll say that that straight. I mean, it's a, a half mile long straight, and I'm I don't have the best lines coming into it, whatever. But I would get to the top of fifth gear. And the only reason I didn't shift into sixth is because I knew that if I shifted into sixth, I was going to distract myself and then break way too early. But so I would I would hit the top of fifth gear like probably about three quarters of the way through and just hold it there. And there, there the, was still room to speed up. And that's me, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Long straight, high speed. Yeah. That that's is, They, they didn't need say, the chicane for that reason. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, I was going to say when I, when I raced uh, that weekend, when I was out at podium club with CRA, um, I think I hit one. Oh, what did they, tr- um, Coop was out there. He was doing like, trap speed something oh no i'm sorry that was at uh that was at the um that was at the track day circus not Mm -hmm. podium club i think podium club before i rolled off coming into turn one when i was racing with cra i think my because it has a little thing on there you like you can go back and see what your top speed was for that session yeah i'm curious i think i was hitting like 155 to 160 um but that's i mean you guys were there that's you, you can come out of that out of that last turn you know pretty much full throttle all the way up over that hill and then and then all the way back down so I yeah my, to my prelius get a 170 on it from that track so oh that's, that's <laughs> and awesome. i don't know it is regeared it's it's down one up one i don't know if it's been adjusted I, 
don't know, but that's that is what it says on there. So yeah. That is some my dog, speed. My dog's over here. He's like, hey dad, are you gonna feed me? <laughs> well, you probably on that note, we've we've taken enough time, but I wanna what time is it? Oh man, two hours. I didn't even I didn't even it feels like I didn't even realize it was that time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've taken enough time, but maybe maybe we can get Maybe after you guys do this first round of Moto America, maybe we'll get a couple of you on here at the same time. We can talk about how that all went down. Hey, man, that would be uh, that would be awesome. I know, I know, Lug and I for sure. Um, another one of our guys from a new a, a new ish member of Apex is also doing Moto America. Um, I don't know who else is. I know I don't know if Ty is or not. Ty's probably just but- golfing. Yeah, he, that's his thing now, man. I don't even know if he plays video games. He's golfing a lot. So <laughs> I tried when they we I went with those guys to a driving range when they got married, and yeah, I'm I'll stick to two wheels, man. I'm I'm not good with a golf club. I'm just not. I that's just about the same amount of money. So what's yeah, that golf costs as yeah. much as a motorcycle weekend? Yeah, does it really? Yeah. Well, depending well on it doesn't. It doesn't through. have to, but it it can. <laughs> Yeah, no thanks, man. I'm. I'll I'll stick to motorcycle. I'll stick to the dangerous sport if I'm gonna spend that kind of money. <laughs> I want to I want to give you the opportunity. I know you got, you know, sponsor stuff for this Moto America coming up. Is there give you a minute or some time to shout out anybody you want to shout out? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I will start out with uh, I'll start out with Apex. Uh, this was the shirts that we wore last year or two years ago when uh, when I went there for. Uh, to be Ty's uh, crew chief. Um, the two biggest sponsors that I've had, two, two biggest, uh, I'll call it organizations or people that have supported me over the last couple of years is uh, Apex Assassins and Law Tigers, um, specifically Law Tigers, Arizona. Uh, shout out, Jay. Um, thanks for everything, man. But yeah, Law Tigers, Apex Assassins, um, just recently went back from Pirelli's to Dunlop's to get ready for Moto America. So I got to give a shout out to uh, Dale at Racer's Edge. He and another huge shout out to Steve, uh, Steve Weir. I don't know if you follow him on on Instagram or whatever. He's the, the BMW engineer. Steve and Dale combined just working with those guys the last couple of rounds to help me get the bike dialed in. Uh, making that change from Pirelli's to Dunlop's was a huge help. Um, Long Beach BMW and again and Jeff for uh, giving me an amazing bike. Uh, Jared at Motorsport Exotica, those guys took a stock street bike and turned it into this amazing machine that I'm racing now. So I can't give enough, uh, can't give enough credit to him and those guys for, for getting that thing, uh, all dialed in for me, uh, performance wise. Um, Irina with Lieto made my bike look absolutely amazing. Thank God the crash. <laughs> that was, that was one thing I didn't talk about. I, round two, I tucked the front, a huge Huge, uh, huge gust of wind came across the track as I was entering turn 10 and it blew a huge patch of sand and the front tire lost traction and down she went. So um, luckily it was just uh, literally just a foot peg, a clip on and a couple scratches, but mostly the, uh, the bike was was unscathed. So uh, yeah, Irina with Lieto, they did an awesome job wrapping the bike. Um, that's that's about it right now but i'm hoping by round one of moto america that i've got a couple more people to to, to say thank you for and th- again thank you guys for uh for having me on i really appreciate it 
Yep. Absolutely. Appreciate yeah. you coming on. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And hey, uh, let the guys down at CVMA know, as long as anyone else listening, the opportunity to prove that CVMA has the fastest of the fast may be coming around the corner. So uh, that's all I'm going to say on that for now. But I love got, it. We get some things it. in the making. So that's awesome. And then and hope to meet you sometime, man. If you ever, when do you think you're going to make a trip to the West Coast? Well, <laughs> I don't know about this year for me. Um, but, okay. you know, if you, uh, I don't remember when you guys are doing Barber, but I might come down and say hi at Barber. Barber guys- is the third weekend, in, or sorry, <clears throat> it's the second weekend in May. It's like in the, May. Uh, let me look real quick. Yeah, Barber is, oh my gosh, where's my calendar? Sorry. It's May 17th, 18th, and 19th. All right. Yeah, we'll see. I'll either make it out there or, you know, I also want to extend the offer to you. I've got I've got bikes in the garage. There, there's, some of those tracks you mentioned happen to be hey. close to my backyard. So feel free how, to fly how, over whenever you want. How far are you from Road Atlanta? Four hours. Hey, that's not bad. That's that's my drive to Chuck Walla. Yep. So, yep. Well, Went and watched Moto America there last year. So it wasn't yeah. too bad. We just, we just might have to make that happen sometime. Works for me. Sure. I think, it, you know, okay, if you're coming out. Someone else will be here. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there every time, yeah. but we've got to go. Yeah. 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 That's uh, thanks we'll for coming. And yeah. we'll see y'all next time. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Make yeah, sure. Thanks, guys. Uh, just one last thing. Make sure you're watching Moto America this year. Watch stock 1000. Check out Absolutely. our boys. Absolutely. See everyone next week. Watch me go fast. Thanks guys. <laughs>